I'm Margaret Amy, and I'm here to bring you the Bible reading tonight, which is Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you, Margaret. Please um, keep that open. And if you haven't yet found the passage, please open it up. It will be a great help to me and a great help to you if you have the passage open in front of you. Psalm 51. Uh, Hi, my name's Andrew. I'm part of the church family here. And um, we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 together. As you see from the screen, we're looking at this psalm as part of a series in the psalms. It's called the Psalms and the Praying Life. And that's great for a church to look at the psalms like this, because one of the characteristics of a Christian is that they are someone who talks to God. If you've become a Christian, through trusting in Jesus, you've had your sins forgiven and you've been brought into a friendship with God. Well, you talk to a friend, don't you? The answer is yes. So it's, it's natural that we want to pray. Sometimes we need help to pray and the Psalms can help us. So that's why it's great that we're looking at the Psalms in this evening series. But this one is Psalm 51, and the title that's been given to this psalm is Repentance, which is not most people's favorite topic. But it's actually incredibly important. I've always had a sort of secret 
lack of enthusiasm for Psalm 51, I have to admit. In the last two weeks, the Lord has completely changed my mind and filled my heart with enthusiasm for this. This, So this could go on some time. Don't worry, it won't. This is about personal repentance. If you look down at verses 1 and 2, it's about personal repentance. It's King David repenting of his sin, turning away from his sin and asking God to forgive him. And I need to just fill in the backstory. Some of us know it, some of us don't. Let me, let me remind you or tell you uh, the story. This is King David. And King David was the king of Israel. And his armies had gone out to fight battles. And King David saw a woman called Bathsheba, and he fancied her. And he called for her to be brought to him. That was easy for him to do because he was the king. And it was easy for him to do because Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was part of the army, and so was off at war. And she came to him, and he slept with her. And then she went back to her house. And then sometime later, he got a message from Bathsheba that she was pregnant. So David thought, right, I need to do something about this. So he sent for Uriah. He sent a message that Uriah should come from the front, come from the army to see him. And he had a meeting with Uriah, and they talked about other things. And then he said to Uriah, go back to the army tomorrow. For tonight, just go back go back home, see your wife, and then go back to the army tomorrow. Clever plan. Uriah would go back to Bathsheba. They would sleep together. And then when it became obvious that Bathsheba was pregnant, Uriah would think, well, I'm the father. Good plan. But David discovered the next morning that Uriah had not gone back to his wife. He'd stayed in the city. And David said to him, why didn't you go back to your wife? And Uriah said, look, all my friends in the army, they're not with their wives. They're out in the army. Why should I have an advantage that they don't have? So I'm not, I didn't go back. And David invited him again and, and gave him lots to drink. And then said, go, go back home. And he didn't do it. And so David opted for plan B. He wrote a letter to the commander of his army. And in the letter it said, the day after you get this, when you go into battle, make sure you put Uriah in the front line. It's like the Battle of the Somme. When you go over the top, make sure Uriah's in the front row. And how did David get the the letter to his commander? gave it to Uriah and Uriah was carrying his own death warrant back to the army and sure enough the day after he was put in the front row and he died in battle and David thought good plan it's worked And then shortly after that, God sent a prophet called Nathan to David. And the prophet Nathan said, David, I've got a story for you. There was a really rich man who had lots of cattle and lots of sheep, lots of herds, incredibly rich man. And in the same place, there was a very poor man who only possessed one lamb. 
And the rich man had a friend come to visit him and the rich man wanted to prepare uh, a meal for his friend. But instead of using something from his own herds, he, he took the lamb from the poor man and killed that and used that for the meal. And David's listening to this story and he says, that's disgraceful. That man deserves to die. And then Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man. In other words, God has seen what you have done with Bathsheba. God has seen what you've done with Uriah. You are the man. You deserve to die for your sin. And that resulted in David repenting of his sin. And this psalm is his prayer of repentance. So that's the backstory. Verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's asking for forgiveness. He's turning from his sin. He's saying, I'm sorry for all that. Please forgive me. There are three expressions there. Look at the end of verse 1 and verse 2, please. You see, he says, blot out, wash, cleanse. He's pleading with God to forgive him. Blot out, wash, cleanse. And why does he hope that God's going to forgive him? Well, do you see what he says about God in verse 1? He says that God has mercy. He says that God has love. He says that God has compassion. Do you see the personal repentance there in verses 1 and 2? Blot out, wash, cleanse, because you're merciful, because you're loving, and because you're compassionate. He's pleading with God to forgive him. This psalm is about repentance. And all of us need this. Because all of us are sinners. I don't know everybody here. There are some faces I don't recognize at all. But I know that you're a sinner. Because you're a member of the human race. We're all sinners. And we all need to repent. Now in this prayer, this astonishing prayer here, there are three ingredients to repentance. And they're there in David's prayer. And they're going to help us to repent as well. So let's look together at Psalm 51. And let's be open to the Holy Spirit. The first thing I need to do if I'm going to repent is I need to tell God what I'm like. What I'm like. Verses 3 to 6. If you look down at verses 3 to 6, you'll see that David is actually describing himself to God. He's saying to God what kind of person he is. And you could say, David, you don't need to do that. God knows all that. We've all, you've already discovered that because Nathan came to you. Yeah, but we need to tell God what we're like. There's a prophet in the Old Testament who says, take words and return to the Lord. If you want to return to the Lord, if you want to come to God, you need to take words. You need to tell God what you're like. Because that's what David is doing here. Have a look. First of all, in verse 3, he says, I'm dirty, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. There it was. He couldn't get it out of his vision. He knew what he'd done. He was dirty. 
in the presence of a holy God. Then he says, I'm guilty. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, don't get this wrong. David knows that he sinned against Bathsheba in committing adultery with her. David knows that he sinned against Uriah by having him killed. This is a Hebrew way, the beginning of verse 4, of saying, yes, I've sinned against Bathsheba, and yes, I've sinned against Uriah, but the person I've sinned against most... is God. I'm guilty. And that's why the end of verse 4 is there. He says to God, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. I'm dirty. I'm guilty. And then he also says in verse 5, I'm rotten. Let me read verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's not him saying that his mother was a particularly bad sinner. It's just saying, I didn't become a sinner when I got Bathsheba into my bed. I became a sinner. I was a sinner when I was born. I was born a sinner. And sometimes we like to think that we come onto the, into the world all pure and nice. I know we come into the world all nice. But we like to think we come into the world all pure and good. There's good things about us. Of course there are. Look at verse 6. David says to God, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Of course there's good things about us. That's absolutely right. But we are all of us born sinners. If you want a verse to look up to show that, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. We are born sinners. We are rotten. But don't misunderstand that. It's not saying we're as bad as we could be. There are wonderful things about you. There are wonderful things about the person you're sitting next to now. Feel free to look at them and be astonished. But the person next to you and the person next to them, which is you, if this is not too complicated, is a born sinner. We're rotten. We're skewed. There's something in us which drags us away from God. There's something in us which makes us want to live our own lives our way for our sake. Oh, we need to tell God what we're like. We're dirty, we're guilty, we're rotten. Have you ever told God that? Have you ever spoken to God like that? Take words and return to God. Tell him what you're like. It's the first ingredient of repentance. And it can be happening now as we're sitting here. Let's look at the second ingredient. That's in verses 7 to 12. What I want. What I want. Now, David starts, having, after telling God that he's a sinner and acknowledging his sin, he asks God for, some, for things. He's telling God what he wants. Verse 7, he asks for forgiveness. We've already had that in verses 1 and 2. Cleanse me with hyssop, verse 7, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Verse 9, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He wants forgiveness. Now, I nearly gave the heading to this number two point here, what I need. That would have been okay, but it would have been misleading. All of us need forgiveness, but not all of us want it. Everyone on the planet needs forgiveness because we've been made by a holy God. But not everyone wants it. Everyone here this evening needs forgiveness. But not everyone wants it. Do you want forgiveness? Do you realize how important it is to ask God for forgiveness? So David is asking for forgiveness. And do you remember at the, um, in verses 1 and 2, we looked at those three expressions, blot out, wash, and cleanse? Well, I remember. They're here in these verses as well. Look at verse 7. Cleanse, wash, and then verse 9, blot out. It's just that the order's different. But he's crying to God and saying, please forgive me. He's crying to God and he's saying, God, please wipe the slate clean. Forgive me. I'm dirty, I'm guilty, I'm rotten. Forgive me. But he asks for something else too. And this was a surprise to me when I was studying this psalm, but I think it absolutely is right and it completely fits with my experience. See how you feel about it. The second thing he wants is joy. Look at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Now he's asking God for joy. Now why does he do that? Well, I'll tell you. I think this will ring bells with, with you. Especially if you're a believer in Jesus, this will ring bells with you. Every Christian experiences joy. Because when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is joy. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. We experience joy. Because we've got different personalities, some experience joy and they leap around and wave their arms and do dramatic things like that. Some people you can't tell, but they're experiencing joy. But all Christians experience joy. If you don't experience joy, if you've never experienced joy, then you probably are not a Christian. But it's not for me to judge. But joy is part of the deal when you become a Christian. The Holy Spirit gives you joy. But what happens when you deliberately sin or unconsciously sin? Doesn't the joy disappear? I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't disappear. We don't need to pray what David prayed in verse 11. Have a look at verse 11. David says, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You don't need to pray that. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we are people. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He dwells in us. He will never leave us. You don't need to say to God, please don't take your Holy Spirit away. 
The promises about the new covenant, the promises about what would happen when Jesus came are very clear. The Holy Spirit lives in every believer in Jesus. If you want some Bible references to, to write down, write down Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 and Joel 2, 28 to 32. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but your joy goes, doesn't it? You feel flat. Maybe at the time you do the sin, whatever it is, you feel great. But afterwards you feel really flat. The joy is gone. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because, this is a New Testament expression, you've grieved the Spirit. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit who lives in us. When I sin, deliberately or unconsciously, I grieve him and my joy goes. That's why the New Testament says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because you make him sad and you will lose your joy. Is this ringing bells with you? It absolutely does with me. When I have deliberately decided for sin, my joy disappears. It's a very simple principle, but it's incredibly important if you choose sin... You lose joy. Is there somebody here and that's true of you actually at the moment? In the last few days or the last few weeks, you've been deliberately choosing sin. And you've lost your joy. Well, do what David does. Tell God what you're like and then ask him. Say, I want forgiveness. Please forgive me. And then ask for your joy back. Here it comes again in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. God wants to give you your joy back. And in my experience, if I've deliberately sinned or even, even sinned not deliberately and, and, it, and I've really blown it and my joy has gone... And I ask for forgiveness, then for some time after that, I still don't feel any joy. I still feel very flat. Isn't it interesting that David says, give me the joy back? It absolutely fits with Andrew Page's experience. Maybe I'm the only one in the room of whom that can be said, but it's absolutely right for me. I need to pray, Lord, give me my joy back. Is that a message for you? Is that what you want? Lord, I want forgiveness and I want joy. And the third thing he asks for, well, you can, you can guess what the third thing he asks for is without actually looking at the Bible. I kind of, it does make sense. He knows that he's a sinner. He knows he's dirty and guilty and rotten. He knows that he needs forgiveness. He's asking for his joy back. What's he asking for? He's asking for power so that he can live differently and not keep messing up pretty obvious isn't it there it is in in this section here in verses 7 to 12 have a look at verse 10 create in me a pure heart O god and renew a steadfast spirit within me verse 12 restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me give me the power lord so i don't keep doing this i want to grow i want to be different i don't want to be the same person now uh, in, 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 in a year as I am now, I want to be growing. Wow. 
So please give me power. Now, don't beat yourself up about this. It may be that you're someone who struggles with a particular sin. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is, and you know what it is. Holy Spirit's reminding you of it at the moment. And you've repented of it so many times, and you've asked for forgiveness, and the Lord has forgiven you, and that's great, and then you've done it again. And it feels like it's too strong for you. Don't beat yourself up if that's the problem. That's a very common problem. But let's be asking the Lord for power. And it may well be very helpful. It's been very helpful for me, this situation, when I've been struggling with a particular sin. Find somebody that you trust. Could be at the end of the service, or it could be someone in your home group or whoever, and ask them to pray for you. If you don't want to, you don't even need to say what the sin is. You could just say, look, I've got a particular sin and it bugs me and I I can't seem to get rid of it and it's awful and it feels stronger than me. Please, will you pray for me? That's fine. But it may be that it would be right to find someone to whom you could say, and my sin is, and tell them. And ask them to pray for you, not just now, but regularly. And to occasionally ask you how you're getting on. I found that a massive help. But we need to be praying for power. The second ingredient of repentance is that we're we're telling God what we want. Forgiveness, joy, and power. You can be asking for those things now. Please feel free. Isn't that kind of me? I give you time to do it. Isn't that wonderful? There's a third ingredient to repentance. And it's in verses 13 to 17. And it's what I'll do. Because in verses 13 to 17, David tells God what he's going to do after God has forgiven him. Because if you look at verses uh, 7 7 to 12, he's saying... This is what I want. And then look how verse 13 starts. Then, in other words, now, here are the things I'm going to do after you've forgiven me, Lord. And here are some things that he says he's going to do. Firstly, in verse 13, he says, I'm going to witness. I'm going to witness to others. I'm going to tell others my story. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Were you here last Sunday morning? When Rod Williams was speaking, a few people were. Anyone get the book? Anyone read the book? Do listen to it online or do read the book. Rod was doing verse 13 last Sunday morning. He was telling the story of how God had worked in his life and forgiven him. He was teaching us what God does, how amazing God is, that God is merciful and loving and compassionate. But you've got a story. It may not be as dramatic as Rod's, but you've got a story. And if we know that we're forgiven, let's be willing to tell our story to others. I'll witness. Then another thing is, I'll worship. Look at verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. I will sing. I will worship. Verse 15. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Worship and singing are not an optional extra for Christians. They are the inevitable consequence of knowing that you're forgiven. 
You can't shut up. I shouldn't have said that. Some of you are looking at me and thinking, no, neither can you. That's a guilty laugh. Worship. And we ought to be worshipping. Don't wait for the next song to worship. Do it now. Lift your heart to Jesus now. Thank him for his forgiveness. This place can be full of worship. And there's a third thing that David's going to do when God forgives him, and that is he's going to keep repenting. Look at verse 16. You do not delight in sacrifice, I would br- or I would bring it. You do, not, you, not, you do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. That doesn't mean that David thinks God doesn't like the sacrificial system. God invented the sacrificial system. No, this is another Hebrew way of writing. These sacrifices are no good at all if your heart is not repenting. That's why verse 17 is there. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Repentance is not just for day one of being a Christian. It's for every day. Because we're sinners. We need to keep repenting and asking for forgiveness, joy, and power. So these are the three things that David says he will do. I'll witness, I'll worship, and I'll keep repenting. This is just such an amazing psalm. I could almost be enthusiastic about it. And this is not just something you do individually. It's something we need to do as a community. That's what verses 18 and 19 are about. They're about community repentance. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. That's all of us being involved in repenting. And you notice it mentions the righteous in verse 19. I'll tell you who the righteous are. They're not the goody-goodies. The righteous are the people who have told God what they're like, who've told God what they want, and who've told God what they'll do. Are you in? Just as I finish, let me ask David a question. David, how is this possible that you can be forgiven by God like this? You're asking God to forgive you after these terrible things you've done. How is that possible that God can forgive you? And David might say, well, haven't you read verse 1 of my psalm? I've said that God is merciful and loving and compassionate. That's why. And I would say to David, David, that's why God wants to forgive you. But how is it possible that he does it? Because he's just, because he's holy, he's righteous. Sin must be punished. How is it possible that you can be forgiven? Because sin must be punished. I don't think David would have had an answer to that. But we do. Have a look at the table. It's not the table that gives us forgiveness. It's not the bread and wine that give us forgiveness. It's what they point to. They point to the cross. And this psalm, in the end, only makes sense 
Because one day Jesus was going to come, the perfect lamb of God. He was going to come into our world, live the perfect life, and then die on the cross. And the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, he took all our sin onto his shoulders. And he took the punishment. So who took the punishment for David's adultery with Bathsheba? It was Jesus. Who took the punishment for David's murder of Uriah? It was Jesus. Who took the punishment for your sins? Let's pray together. Please keep your Bible open at Psalm 51, and the headings are still up there. We're going to have a, 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 a minute or maybe a little more than a minute of silent prayer. Maybe turn some of these things. Maybe the Spirit's particularly said something to you this evening from his word. Please talk to God in the silence. Take words and return to the Lord. Just pray in the silence, and then I'll lead us. Father, I pray for me and I pray for all of us. Please help us to tell you what we're like. Please help us to tell you what we want. Please help us to tell you what we'll do. We ask you to forgive us. Not because of who we are, but because Jesus came and died for our sins. And we pray that in a moment when we come to communion, that we may rejoice and experience the joy of Jesus as we remember what he did for us on the cross. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.